0: Welcome again to Element. My name is Kevin. I'm one of the ministers here. And um, would you stand with me for the reading of God's word? From Genesis 27, verses 11 through 13. But Jacob said to Rebekah, his mother, Behold, my brother Esau is a hairy man, and I am a smooth man. Perhaps my father will feel me, and I shall seem to be mocking him and bring a curse upon myself and not a blessing." His mother said to him, let your curse be on me, my son, only obey my voice and go bring them to me. Let's pray. Lord God, this morning, I am so grateful to have the privilege to be here and present your word to your people um, God, I know that i it is my first time and I am a little anxious and I know that uh, the crowd here is thinking like, who is this guy again? He just talks to teenagers. How can he talk to us? No, that's okay, God. We know that you are the one who speaks mightily through your word. So I pray this morning that you would be with us, that you would open our minds and our hearts to hear from you, God, and that as we look at the life of Rebecca, that we would Um, be challenged to seek you more, to um, trust you in deeper and fresh ways, Um, God, that we might be a people who glorify you wherever we go. So be with us this morning and may my words not be mine, but yours in Jesus name. Amen. Go ahead and have a seat. So we've been in this series called Not So Little Women for just a few weeks now. And this series aims to explore the stories of all sorts of different women in the Bible, whether they're from the Old Testament and the New, uh, the good girls, the bad girls, and more. And we're looking to see what God might teach us through their lives, because they are in the Bible just like the men are, so we might as well study them all, right? Um, And I had a difficult time picking which character I should speak on this morning. Aaron already picked all the good ones. No. (laughs) Um, As we are fairly early in the series, I thought it'd be good to pick someone from early on in uh, the story of God's people. And so I was thinking, well, Abraham and Sarah, we could look at Sarah and learn about the answers to God's prayers there, where when she was quite old and after being barren, God provided her her son Isaac. Or maybe I could look at Leah and Rachel. Um, Maybe we'd learn something about jealousy and how it affects relationships and family dynamics because they were the wives of Jacob. Um, But both of those stories covered so many chapters of Genesis, and I just felt lazy. (laughs) I am the teenage guy, right? This all works. It's just too much work. So I picked out the woman in between. Her name is Rebecca. And so uh, who is Rebecca? Um, A few important things. And actually, my list is really long. So this is going to take like 20 minutes. I wanted to be a professor. That's where we are this morning. So I apologize. No. Um, Her story is found in Genesis 24 through 28. Um, She's also mentioned in the New Testament by Paul in the book of Romans, which is really interesting. We'll get to that towards the end. Um, She's Isaac's wife. She, you know, Abraham had Isaac, and so Isaac and Rebekah were very early on in the establishment of uh, God's people. Um, Rebekah, importantly, is not a Canaanite or Hittite or somebody else from a different culture. Um, She is of Abraham's family and clan. She's actually the granddaughter of Abraham's brother, Nahor. Um, and Scripture doesn't explain necessarily specifically why that was important, but we we see that Abraham was trying to keep things within his family line and not intermarry with uh, the other cultures of his day and his place. Um, Rebecca is uh, attractive in appearance. Um, She's so attractive, in fact, that Isaac fears that people will kill him just to steal her. So, I mean, that's something, I guess. Um, And Rebecca's name comes from uh, a Hebrew root root word that means to tie things together or tie up. And so uh, people say that her name might mean secured or captivating. I found this really interesting. Some suggest that her name alludes to this idea that she should be secured to someone in marriage before somebody steals her, right? Or um, as we might say, if you liked it, then you should have put a ring on it. (laughs) Who knew Beyonce got something from scripture? Um, Maybe Rebecca named uh, her name carries this idea that men were maybe tied up with her beauty. Instead of doing what they were supposed to, they were captivated in attention to her. Uh, all these things, interesting. Um, Rebecca is also in the know. We find her eavesdropping or hearing from other servants throughout the story, and she's very well informed about all things in her family. She's the mother of the two twins, Jacob and Esau, and she's also the brother of Laban, who fathered Leah and uh, Rachel, who become Jacob's wives. Did you get it all? All right, we can go home. No. No. <laughs> Cheap jokes, I know, it's okay. You're laughing, I feel comfortable. (laughs) All right, so Rebecca's story, what about it? There are four different scenes that I kind of want to work through and then we'll get to their meaning afterwards. Um, In short, we see originally that Rebecca is chosen as a wife for Isaac and this is in Genesis 24. And then in Genesis 25, after 20 years of barrenness, Rebecca finally has twin boys, Jacob and Esau. Um, and then the third scene that we see, Rebekah instructs Jacob, her son, to deceive his father um, from his uh, paternal blessing. And then finally, that eventually causes the other brother, Esau, to be enraged to the point of murder. And so Rebekah protects Jacob um, by sending him away to go find a wife in a faraway land where he can't get hurt by his brother because his brother's too lazy to go there probably. Whatever. So that's the four scenes. We got them? All right. So scene number one, I'm going to take my time, work through these things. Um, When Abraham was old, and I mean really old because he was really old when he had Isaac as a son. So he's likely about 140 or more years old when this is happening. God greatly blessed him and promised that Abraham uh, would continue to multiply and prosper And so at this point, Isaac takes, um, I mean, Abraham is going to um, bless Isaac with the same covenantal blessing that God put on Abraham. But to continue this lineage for Abraham to have, be the father of many nations, he needs, Isaac needs a wife. So God sends his, I mean, Abraham sends his servant, it is God's servant as well, um, to go back to his family land in Mesopotamia um, to find a wife for Isaac. Genesis 24, verse 4. Go to my country and to my kindred and take a wife for my son Isaac. So the servant travels there and stops at a water well outside this city, um, close to where Abraham's family would have lived, the city of Nahor. Funny, that's Abraham's brother's name. So I wonder if this whole place was built on Nahor's family. Genesis 24, 12. And he prayed, that's the servant, and said, O Lord, God of my master Abraham, grant me success today and show steadfast love to my master Abraham. Behold, I am standing by the spring of water and the daughters of the men of the city are coming out to draw water. So let the young woman to whom I shall say, please let down your jar that I may drink and who will also say, drink and I will water your camels. Let her be the one whom you have appointed for your servant, Isaac. By this, I shall know that you have shown steadfast love to my master. And so just as the servant finishes praying, it says in Genesis, in his heart, like instantly, a woman shows up at the water. Well, she is the first woman that he interacts with. She offers him a drink and offers to water his camels which I don't think must have been that common because it's a very specific thing that he's asking for. God answered the servant's prayer. Then the servant discovers that not only did that answer come true in that way, but this woman is no other than Rebecca, someone from Abraham's brother's family. So not only is it within the city, but it's also very close to Abraham's clan, which is something that he had asked for. So Rebekah is Abraham's grandniece, and God answered this servant's prayer better than he could have imagined with Rebecca. So the servant meets up with Rebecca's brother Laban and other family members to explain Abraham's instruction and how God has answered his prayer through Rebekah. It says Genesis 24, 50. Uh, then Laban and Bethuel answered, Bethuel is Rebecca's father, answered and said, The thing has come from the Lord. We cannot speak to you, bad or good. Behold, Rebekah is before you. Take her and go, and let her be the wife of your master's son, as the Lord has spoken. So Rebecca's family asks, can we keep her for just a couple more days before she goes off and we probably never see her again? But Abraham's servant is eager to return. The family decides to ask Rebecca if she is ready to leave thinking, oh, she'll want to stay a little bit longer, right? So they called Rebecca, this is Genesis 24, 58, and said to her, will you go with this man? She said, I will go. So they sent away Rebecca, their sister and her nurse, and Abraham's servant and his men, and they blessed Rebecca. Abraham's servant brings Rebecca home to Isaac and Abraham, and Rebecca becomes Isaac's wife, and Isaac loves her. There's so many lessons, even in this first scene, but just two that I want to get in our head as we keep moving forward. We see that God is faithful to his promise and he will keep his covenant. Sometimes God will even accomplish his plans in ways better than we could have imagined, like he did with Rebecca. And also, if the Lord is clearly directing our circumstances, it's probably wise for us to go and follow and not delay. And let nothing hold us back from where God might be leading us. Kind of like Rebecca does when she says, I will go. Which is very similar to what Abraham did when God sent him to a land that he would show him. Sure, I will go. Scene number two. In Genesis 25, we discover that Rebecca is barren. And she's been unable to have children for 20 years. Isaac prays for Rebecca. And God answers his prayer. And Rebecca conceives. But the pregnancy is not easy. And she may not have been aware at the moment that she had these twins in her womb and that her suffering was caused by their struggling within her. But in Genesis 25, um, she prays that, you know, God, why is this happening to me? Um, if it is this way, she says, why is it happening to me? I have a brother. If brothers are fighting at terrible times as teenagers, that's a normal thing. But in a womb, <laughs> I can't imagine the war there. I'm sorry for people who bore twins. Um, so Rebecca prays and asks the Lord, "What's going on?" And God answers her. Genesis twenty-five twenty-three, and the Lord said to her, "Two nations are in your womb, and two peoples from within you shall be divided. The one shall be stronger than the other. The older shall serve the younger." It's interesting that Rebecca seemed content to endure her suffering in pregnancy after the Lord answered her question. At least there's no more mention of her struggle, and there's just joy when the twins are born. Just as God said he would, Rebekah gave birth to these twins, Esau the older, Jacob the younger, both so very different. And because of these differences, Isaac loved Esau because he ate of his game, but Rebekah loved Jacob, it says. And we don't know if Rebecca ever shared God's prophetic word about the twins with Isaac. I would think that if Isaac knew that the younger would, you know, rule over the older at some point, that maybe he would have picked that as the favorite too. But we don't see that. We don't really know. But we do see God did answer Rebecca's prayer when it was in a difficult time. So when we find ourselves in difficult times, let's pray Husbands, pray for your wives and your families, just like Isaac did for Rebecca. And in whatever challenging times might come across, let's just bring our circumstances and even our questions about what's going on to the Lord. Maybe God's answer will be yes. Maybe it will be no. Maybe it will be wait for 20 years. But as we pray, we can have confidence that God is faithful and good and is working all things for his glory. And when God does give us an answer to our prayer, let's be content and patient and wait for Him to be about His work in our lives. Scene number three. Earlier in the story, Esau traded his birthright or inheritance to his younger brother Jacob for a bowl of stew. So Jacob is going to receive the majority share of the family estate. But that inheritance is different than Abraham's blessing. And so if you recall, God blessed Abraham for his faith and said that Abraham would prosper and would be the father of many nations. And Abraham passed that blessing to Isaac near the end of his life. And now Isaac has grown old and is concerned he'll die without passing on that same blessing to Esau, the older son. So Isaac calls Esau and asks him to prepare a meal, a fresh game, and plans to pass on Abraham's blessing to Esau at that meal. If my dad asks me for a meal, and he'll be here later, so this is going to be fun. Um, I'm sure he wants want coconut shrimp and or Jocko's steak, one of the two. <laughs> and you're hopefully not hungry, but the second crowd will be. Rebecca overhears Isaac's instruction. And as we know, Rebecca loved Jacob, where Isaac loved Esau. So Rebecca wants her favorite son, Jacob, who already has the birthright, to also have the blessing. And after Esau leaves to go hunt for that game for his father, Rebekah instructs Jacob to deceive Isaac by pretending to be his brother Esau. And that way, Jacob might receive the blessing as well. He already has the birthright. Rebekah tells Jacob to help her prepare the food for his father. Then she dresses Jacob in Esau's best clothes so that he looks and smells like his brother. Rebekah even tells Jacob to put on goat skins on his hands and the smooth part of his neck. Ooh, that's loud. Sorry. Um, so that he would feel like Esau if his father were to touch him. Remember, as we heard earlier, Esau was hairy and Jacob was kind of a baby face. So reading this account in Genesis 27, Rebecca does almost all of the work. It just struck me so clearly. She took Esau's clothes. She put them on Jacob. She put the goat skins on Jacob. She put the food and bread, it says, in Jacob's hands. If Jacob did anything, it was just to obey his mom. It wasn't on his own. Jacob was fearful of being caught in this lie by his father and it shows. Jacob even voiced this possibility of being cursed for deceiving his father. But as we read earlier, Rebekah insisted. His mother said, let your curse be on me, my son. Only obey my voice and go, bring them to me. So Jacob obeys his mother deceives his father, steals his older brother's blessing, and Rebecca forces the fulfillment of God's promise and prophecy regarding her twins. So she has this favorite son, Rebecca does, and she has his best interest at heart. What parent wouldn't want that? She clearly remembers God's prophetic words um, that Esau would serve Jacob, and she's willing to even accept any curse that might come just to see her kids succeed. But at what cost does it come? So she deceives her husband. I'm sure there's some brokenness there that we don't get to read about. She enrages her older son so that he wants to murder his brother. And she pushes her younger son, her beloved, to be someone he's not. Really, throughout the rest of his life, you see Jacob just trying to be a people pleaser. What a, ah, so uh, clear to me as you read the whole story that it's not just Rebecca, but Rebecca really is raising his, her son to be this way. And she's doing that instead of trusting that God's promise and plan would be true. If nothing else, Rebecca's deceit leads to the curse of her never seeing her beloved Jacob again, never meeting her grandkids, never seeing the fulfillment of God's promise and blessing. Wow. Scene four. Esau was enraged when he discovered that Jacob had stolen this blessing. So he began plotting to kill his brother, although he was going to wait until his dad was gone to do so because it was, we were thinking that uh, Isaac was going to die very soon. And so somehow Rebecca learns of Esau's plan and she's got to do something about it, protect her son. She was compelled to act before she loses, it says, both of her sons. That is, before Esau kills Jacob, and Esau himself is killed as punishment for murder. So Rebecca pulls Jacob aside and says that you gotta leave just for a little while, don't worry. But but just go to my family far away, and then Esau won't kill you. And then Rebecca, knowing that, you know, Isaac doesn't know what she did, she goes to Isaac and says, Hey, we know that our sons shouldn't marry Hittite wives, right? Well, Maybe now that you've blessed Jacob, you should send him away so that he can go find a wife from your family, from my family. Um, And so Rebecca influences Isaac, who then tells Jacob also to go away, um, all trickily just so that he doesn't get killed. Uh, And that's the last that we hear of Rebecca until we are told that she's buried alongside of Abraham and Sarah and and Isaac and Jacob um, at the very end of Genesis. What a story! It's like the drama of all family dramas. Amazon and Netflix should make a series. <laughs> but what do we learn from this long, drawn-out four-scene um, story? First, as we see in the very beginning of these first two scenes, God is faithful and good. He hears our prayers, and he answers according to his plan. Abraham's servant prayed, and God answered. God provided Rebekah as a wife. And more than this, God answered beyond what the servant could imagine, that Rebekah was that special close relative, not just even from the people, but like part of the family. Isaac prayed that God would heal Rebekah's barrenness, and God answered. And then again, more than expected, it wasn't just a child, but twins. They were painful, but yes, they were wonderful. Rebecca also prayed to understand her challenging pregnancy. And God answered. God explained why Rebecca's pregnancy was difficult. And Rebecca was content to endure uh, for the joy of giving birth to those twins. In the same way, we can look to Rebecca's story for encouragement that God is faithful and good. He answers prayer and he keeps his promises If you find yourself in difficult times today, relational or health or financial issues, bring your concerns to God in prayer. Ask Him for wisdom and guidance. Ask Him for healing. Ask Him to provide. God may not answer your prayers as you would want or hope. He may say no or yes or wait. And we may not even hear an audible answer. We may not get a prophetic word like Rebecca did. And we may wait for a long time, but in it all, as we've seen here, we can trust that however he answers, God is faithful and good. And when God makes clear what our next step should be, let's be like Rebecca, let's not delay, but instead answer God's call with, I will go. Because we trust his power, his faithfulness, his goodness. If you find yourself wanting or needing prayer today, we have a prayer team available uh, toward the end of our service. If God is bringing something specific to mind, I encourage you to meet with them before you leave. They'll be available in the lounge um, as we uh, sing later. Second lesson, let's learn to not force God's promises to happen on our timeline. Rather, let's trust God with patience. When the time was at hand, Rebecca was prepared to ensure that her beloved Jacob would receive Isaac's blessing. God promised that Esau would serve Jacob, and Rebecca saw an opportunity to make it happen, maybe because she saw no other way. But what good parent wouldn't want to give their child every advantage possible? Rebecca is trying to be the best mother she can be but her impatience and need for assurance cost her dearly. How often am I impatient? I notice it when I'm driving behind a slow driver at a stoplight, or when I click the buy now button on Amazon. Two day shipping is not fast (laughs) enough either. Um, More than that, I can relate with Rebecca's wanting assurance that things will go the way that I plan. Even this morning, I wanted assurance that my technology would work, but just in case I had assurance that I've got paper copy up here. So at some level, every one of us craves the assurance and security of our plans. And that is a healthy desire. I see things like this with parents and teens today as well. Parents want what's best for their kids. That's awesome. They involve their kids in programs and different clubs and troops and sports and all of it can be great for your kids. But why are we doing this? Maybe we need to take a step back and think. Are we trying to help our kid look good for their college applications? Are we proud of how exhausted we as parents are from carting them all over? Is that where we're getting our identity from? Let's not be like Rebecca and force our children to be someone that they're not. Let's not force our agenda and plans on them. Let's not scheme to make things happen for our own success or for the success of our children. Even if it seems like it's the only way that God's promise will be realized. Yes, we need to actively participate in our lives. God is not calling us to sit back lazily and wait for him to act. Whoops, But let's be careful that we aren't forcing our plans and timing Let's let God be God and let him be in control. Let's trust God with patience on his plans and raise our kids to trust God with patience too. If God wants our kids to win a sports scholarship and attend a top tier university, God will make it happen. We don't have to force it. And if our kid doesn't get into Cal Poly like we dream or she isn't as successful as we hope or if he goes his own way like a prodigal son or like Esau does by marrying these foreign women, um, let's keep trusting in God's faithfulness and sovereignty even in the midst of those circumstances. Instead of unintentionally training our kids to find their identity and worth in their success, let's help teens find their identity in God just as we need to find our identity in him as well. Let's let God be the one who gives us and our children our unique identity. Um, Not one that we have to force or strive for or fake by wearing goat skins on our arms and neck, but one in which we can freely live because it is who God made us to be and we can be confident in that. Third lesson. Rebecca's story points us to Jesus. And the gospel. When I read Rebecca's word um, to Jacob in Genesis 27, "Let your curse be on me, my son. Only obey my voice." Jesus is the one that comes to mind. Though Rebecca was willing to take on Jacob's curse for the sin of his deception, she couldn't take it all on. Yes, she did suffer for um, you know instructing her son to deceive the father. She never saw Jacob again after she sent him away. She never got to see the promise fulfilled, Um, but she couldn't save Jacob from all of those consequences. Jacob suffered for the deceit as well. He was away from home and his family for 20 years. He lived in fear of his brother's retaliation and he missed out on his mother's death. But better than Rebecca did for Jacob, Jesus offers us an exchange through the gospel. Jesus took the curse of sin that is death for each and every one of us including you and me and he took that on himself when he died in our place on the cross. The wrath of God was fully satisfied in Jesus in that moment and those who put their trust in him are set free from both the curse of sin and death and this is the gospel the good news that we are free from this curse and of and are part of God's children um, when we believe. Yes, as Paul says in Romans 9, verse 10, regarding Rebekah and Jacob and Esau, God's people are not solely a people of Abraham's bloodline, but are a people of God's promise. Whomever he has chosen to have mercy on, that's who is part of his people. And God has chosen to have mercy on you and me. Jesus invites us to trust and to follow him, to listen and obey that we might share in his sufferings just as we share in his joy. And if you haven't placed your faith in Jesus before, but want that freedom and new life and a secure identity, ask him for it today. So there are so many ways that God can speak to us in Rebecca's story. Again, let me just summarize the three that I've pulled out for this morning. God is faithful and good He hears our prayers. He answers according to his plan. Two, let's not force God's promises to happen on our timeline. Rather, let's trust God with patience and assurance. And three, we cannot save our children, loved ones, or even ourselves from this curse of sin and death. But Jesus, as we trust in the gospel, as we trust in his life, death, and resurrection, We are freed from sin's curse and gain an unshakable identity as one of his beloved children. So um, as we drop the curtains, I encourage you to take uh, time these next couple of songs to ask God to show you where you might be trying to grab control of circumstances in your life that God wants you to surrender and entrust to him. Take a moment and answer honestly Maybe it's a relationship or a situation at work or school or finances or a health issue. Ask God to help you trust him and his timing. Maybe things are good in your life right now. Praise God. Maybe you can pray for a family member or a friend or a neighbor that they might come to trust God's goodness and plan and trust him more. So God, thank you so much for being here today. God, thank you for this story, your word, that we get to see how Rebecca responded um, in her life to you and to her circumstances. God, I pray that um, you would remind us of the goodness that we have when we trust in you. God, of how faithful and true you are to us. God, that you would help us not to take control, but instead to offer all of these circumstances that we struggle with to you and to trust with patience that you're going to see us through. God, I pray that as well, you would um, meet each of us where we are, however it might be. Whether we're in good times or bad times, there's so much of this story that we can relate with. But help us to hear from you, know that you are good, and take more steps to follow you in faith this day and this week. In Jesus' name. Amen. One last thing. As we sing and as you're ready, come and take communion. And remember that Jesus' body and blood was given for you and me. We don't pass communion through the room because we believe that is a response to what God is doing in our lives. Also, we don't pass an offering plate. Again, we want giving to be a response to God. So you can give online or um, drop it in the boxes by the doors as you leave. Um, And if something struck a chord with you this morning and you'd like to pray with someone, there will be people, like I said, available in the back during the music and after service. Let's use this time to listen to God and respond to his work.